right, when it comes to smart people, our next guest is up there, man. He holds a Ph.D. in physics and math. He uh, was a member of the technical staff in solid-state physics at Sarnoff Princeton Laboratories. He's, for eight years, he was a professor at Tennessee State University in Engineering. But he also has an interest in religion and its effects upon people and has become quite famous for his, his, uh, his work in that area. His name is Dr. Bill Warner. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, how do these two things relate? I mean, let's let's cover that first. I mean, you you have an expertise in physics and and mathematics, and then somehow that crosses over to religion and faith and how it relates to the world around us. How do those things blend together? Well, first off, what I learned in physics and math was to be rational and to do fact-based reasoning, and that's what I do with Islamic text. Because I don't treat Islam as a religion, I don't deny its religious nature. But instead, I point out to people that it has three sacred texts: Quran, which everybody's heard of and no one seems to have read, and we have the life of Muhammad, the Sirah, and then his traditions, the Hadith. If you look at all those three sacred texts, which we could call the Bible, we discover that they have more to say about you and me than they have to say about being a Muslim. I call that political Islam. So to some degree, I'm not talking about the religion of Islam at all, but the political system of Islam. That's a really good point, because most people think it's it's just this religion, and if you criticize it, somehow you're criticizing religion. But it's it's more of the political things that are a threat to us. Well, let's look at Muhammad's career. And once again, Muhammad is the perfect Muslim. There are 91 verses in the Quran which proclaim that every human being is to follow him as the perfect example of a sacred life. So, he's the perfect Muslim. He preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and persuaded 150 people to become Muslims. He was driven out of Mecca, went to Medina where he became a politician and a jihadist, but his political system was an overwhelming success. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was it was not uh, sold really on, uh, on a, I have better ideas. It's sold except for God. <laughs> no, it was not. Sorry, I was funny. <laughs> no, it was so because it paid better and brought more yep. power. So, so what about, about these people, though, who... Islam. What, what about these people who want to deny that? What about the people who say Islam is a peaceful religion? I have never heard a religion is more peaceful than Islam. I've, I've never heard Buddhists saying, well, Buddhism is a peaceful religion. Even though yeah, overall... No one ever says, oh, Buddhism, a peaceful religion... I, we never heard about a peaceful religion until on 9-11, and by the way, we have to ask ourselves a question. 9-11, this is basically the 15th anniversary, which occurs on mm-hmm. Sunday. Are we better off now than we were? And I say we're not. And the reason is, no. and you've touched upon it, we refuse to acknowledge the ideological basis of the people we're fighting a war against. We want to think, oh, they're just like us, except they need, they want, they need more money, they need more power. Uh, and if we weren't treating them so badly, they wouldn't hate us. So 15 years later, we've still refused to recognize the true nature of our enemy, which is a political system. What do you say to people who say, well, the only reason they hate us is because of blowback, because we're so aggressive? And I'm not saying that we should be, but what do you say to people who say that? Well, first off, let's go back to Muhammad's day, in which, by the way, we didn't even exist because we're 14 years later to come down in history. 
And in those days, we, there was no United States, there was no blowback, and yet we have a, a vicious political conquest of the people around him. Muhammad was involved in over 70 events of jihad in his lifetime. So where's the blowback from us on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that initially brought you to my attention was this brilliant video you made. And it had to do with the Crusades versus the advancement oh, of Islam. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about that a little bit to our radio audience? Well, the Crusades piece came from a... Uh, there was a history book published, and it was archaeological history. And in it, the man pointed out what happened to the trade uh, in the Mediterranean after Islam came to power. And so I began to put together a database of wars that Islam had fought, or battles that Islam had fought against the West. And there were 548 of them. So I needed a way to portray this information, and so I created what I call a dynamic battle map, and we compressed 1,400 years of history into two minutes. After I did it, I suddenly realized that people, because people always say, well, the jihad is bad, but those crusades, they were worse. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, let's build a battle map of the offensive crusade battles and there were 14 of them so I put them together in a graphical format so they could see the history play out but when it comes to comparing jihad to crusades we have to understand that the crusades ended 800 years ago jihad is happening today this morning and uh, so that is a great jihad point. is permanent the crusades were temporary and by the way all the crusades were really defensive because Islam invaded the Middle East it was Islam that invaded Jerusalem. It was not the Christians who invaded it first. They were already there. People forget that. Well, yeah, they do. And they also forget, too, that the, the Middle East was uh, the first victim to Islam. I mean, as you pointed yeah. out, once he went from Mecca to Medina, he, he kind of got nuts and started killing people. So his first okay. victim was the entire Middle East. This is precisely correct. Muhammad, after he conquered all of Central Arabia, he was not satisfied. Muhammad believed, believed you can own all the land that adjoins you. And so he headed north to Syria, where he attacked them there. So his last battles were leaving Arabia to go into this Christian Middle East. And after he died, his plans went forward. So no, no, the Middle East used to be all Christian. North Africa was Christian. Turkey was Christian. Uh, Afghanistan was Buddhist. Pakistan, was, which is what is now we call Pakistan, that was Hindu. So, no, yeah. we've been fighting defensive wars against Islam for a long time. And the world as a whole has been kind of losing. I mean, if, if you look at a map we are of... losing, let's be clear. Sure. We are losing... And it, we're far less safe today in America than we were on 9-10, on the day before 9-11. The Muslim Brotherhood is, has enormous power now. The real jihad that's important is not the jihad of the bomb and the sword. The real jihad that's important is the jihad of money, the jihad of speech, and the jihad of writing. Our possible next president of the United States has in her right arm the Muslim Brotherhood, Umar al-Badin. Yep. So we have, a, we're, let's be clear, we are losing. And one of the reasons we're losing is we choose to fight a military war against an ideological enemy. We have a better civilization than they do, and we need to assert our superiority instead of being wimps and being so oh, absolutely and deferential. 
and and not just in America either. I mean, if if you look at a map of the presence of Islam in 1750 and then the presence of Islam today, you see a ton of Asia that has now become Muslim. You see North Africa that's become Muslim. Yes. And it has just grown like a virus. But we'll we'll get to that on the other side of the break. I hear the music. So, sir, stay where you're at, folks. You stay there, too. We will be back right after this. All right, we're talking to Dr. Bill Warner. The website, drbillwarner.com, really easy, isn't it? There's tons of resources on there. So just go to the website. You can get more in-depth knowledge on everything we're talking about. Doctor, you bring up a a really good point, and that's Huma Abedin, who is the right-hand person for Hillary Clinton and has been since the 90s. And part of me has always suspected that Hillary is not her handler, that Huma is actually Hillary's. Is there any reason to suspect that Huma is an observant Muslim, and if that's the case, she believes that she is influencing Hillary as opposed to the other way around? Well, let's see. Let's look. They say the apple does not fall far from the tree, so let's look at the tree. Huma's tree is this. Her father uh, was a professor at the University of Medina, which is pure Muslim brotherhood. Her mother started the Muslim Sisterhood. Huma worked for, a, for the M, uh, Muslim Student Association magazine. Uh, she was a leader of it in college. The MSA is Muslim Student Association, is pure Muslim Brotherhood. Her brother is head of a Muslim Brotherhood operation in London. So, having said all this, would we be surprised if I claim that Huma Albedin is ideologically aligned with the Muslim Student Association and the Muslim Brotherhood? So, no, she's very much so. And uh, And by the way... So far as influencing, do you think that $25 million would, enter, would influence you at all? <laughs> well, that's how much the Saudis have given to, uh, to Hillary. Or, well, I think it goes to her foundation, doesn't it? Yes, yes, yes. And by the way, there's the an foundation. interesting story about that money that came from Saudi Arabia. King Fowl, the current ruler, which I, whose name I've forgotten, dictated to the princes that they would raise $20 million. And here's what's interesting. He gave the theology for doing this. He said, this will be counted towards your zakat, which is the Islamic tax, because we will use the money. There are seven uses for the charity tax in Islam, and one of those is to influence the hearts of those who are weak. And so this $20 million was given to her under the Quranic dictum of to influence those whose hearts are weak. In short, it was a bribe, but a Muslim bribe. Not that that much money would influence Hillary, of course not. (laughs) <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that money because it's interesting that uh, a lot of people don't understand that part of uh, charitable giving in in Islam has to go to jihad and they say well not necessarily violent jihad but it still has to go towards that yet we have banks in this country that are part of that giving so how are we not giving to the very thing that's trying to literally cut our head off well <laughs> This is a question I ask myself a lot. Uh, (laughs) We find ourselves allied against ourselves. Let me give you an an example of this. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, which is called the Protestant Rome or the Buckle on the Bible Belt. The broadest door into Nashville is the church doors for Islam. That is, they do more to bring about a welcome big hug and a kiss than anyone else does. So the ministers who are dictated by their own Gospels to be competitive with Islam instead just roll over and lay down for Islam. 
So, this, so what we find is in all of our institutions that should be protecting us, the university should be educating us about Islam. But instead, the only thing they do is they educate us about peaceful Islam. They're apologists. So anywhere, everywhere we look in our society, we're being betrayed by those at the top. There's been an intellectual mm -hmm. revolution in this country, but it did not come from the top. It came from the bottom. People like myself, Andy Boston, Robert Spencer, we're doing the work that the university should do, and we're doing the work that the churches should do. So at the bottom, we're quite strong at the grassroots level, but at the top, the higher you go, the less we know. Well, that's, that's a little scary because the higher we go, the more corrupt it seems to be, too. And I don't want to get too tangential, but, you know, you bring up Huma, and then you also have to look at uh, uh, Director Comey, who used to be a donor to the Clinton Foundation to the tune of tens of millions, the HSBC. And all I of a sudden, the higher you go, the more corrupt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he used to be the board director for HSBC, and they gave tens of millions of dollars to the Clinton Foundation, and now he just happens to be the FBI director that's saying she's not going to be held accountable. Uh, it just happens to be, of course. I understand no influence is implied or impugned. <laughs> Total coincidence. <laughs> Funny how that works. Not that money would influence people, of course. But, no, this is... I was driving around in my car, which is the time I listened to talk radio, and Julius, and not, not Julius, Assange, what was his first name, Julian? Julian. Uh, uh, the question was asked to him, how do you find organizations, such as NSA and CIA? He said, I find that at the, in general, at the bottom level, that people are decent people. He said the corruption always occurs at the top. So what we're seeing here is a cynical view of history, but we are definitely corrupt at the top. Do you believe then, I mean, kind of just to circle back around in this segment, do you believe then with all that corruption, with all that money, with all that power, with all that Muslim Brotherhood influence, that's, that Huma is either Hillary's controller or the mouthpiece for Hillary's controller? I think that she has enormous influence. Uh, there was Hillary took a trip to Baghdad. And she used a special Air Force plane. And I was curious about the plane, and so Googled it. And lo and behold, there was a picture of the interior of the plane, which is a cargo plane. And in, in the middle of it, where it was auditorium seating, there were two people in those seats, Hillary and Huma. Huma is always with Hillary. She's her, she is her right arm. She's, so she is of enormous influence. I don't think we should kid ourselves anything other than that. So basically, we will have, uh, if Hillary's elected president, which I believe the statistical odds are that will happen. Of course, this is an election unlike any we've ever seen, so I'm not going to predict. But if she is elected, we will have the Muslim Brotherhood staying in control, not coming into control. I mean, who do you, there's uh, Steve Emerson, who is a counter-jihadist, I counted up in the first five years of Obama's uh, presidency, there were over 300 registered vis visits by Muslim Brotherhood organizations. Think about that. Whoa. And of course, we have we have Obama standing up and saying Islam has always been part of American culture. They're a valuable part of who we are and what we do. So we're betrayed at the highest levels.
So what do we do about that then? I mean, not only are we betrayed at the highest levels, but at the lowest levels, we seem to be completely ignorant. I mean, we're arguing about things like should tampons be handed out in men's restrooms now at Brown University, and that is the hot button as opposed to there's people who want to chop your head off. Uh, there are days when I, if I get up and think too much about the way you're thinking, I have to just uh, get up and start again. <laughs> Uh, we are winning. Let me give you an example of where we're winning, okay? All right. I, I spend very little time on the web. I've always been with the web. I was afraid it would suck all the time out of my life, so I try not to go there. And my wife, on the other hand, is an Internet researcher. <laughs> what she taught me is this. So I live with an, with an intelligence officer. I don't need to surf the web. My wife several times a day says, oh, Bill, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she said, let me tell you how to read on the web. Scan the article, but read the comments. Now, after 9-11, there were three sets of comments. All religions are terrible. That was the left. Muslims saying it was a religion of peace. And then a handful of people who were saying, well, the Quran says this, and Muhammad did that. Fifteen years after 9-11 now, we own the comment section. When I say we, those are those who have some knowledge of Islam. The left rarely ever comes on anymore, and the Muslims come on even less. We dominate the comment section, so much so that some of the more, the what we'll call left of center media on the web, no longer will allow comments. So we are only well, educating ourselves, but we're having to do it our, for ourselves, to ourselves. <laughs> does that really denote a larger education, or does that denote a, a focus on the comments? Because I very rarely read the comments at all. Well, like I say, this is, now by the way, there's a fourth category of comments, which I also get on my stuff, which is, that's rude. Oh, yes. Yes, I get that, too. Every I mean, time I open my mouth, somebody says that to me. Hold on a second, sir. We're up against another break. We'll be back right after this. Want to learn how to defeat political Islam? Well, then go to this website, Dr. Bill Warner, drbillwarner.com, all one word, Dr. Bill Warner. Ton of resources up there. Keep you busy and studying for a while. Now, Doctor, this idea that, that political Islam is coming, I had an Iranian lawyer on the show, and he argued, you know, cases in front of their version of the Supreme Court and everything, and he admitted, he said, moderate Islam is more dangerous than the violent radicals. What do you say to that? Well, we have to understand that what we're concerned with here is, a, is not a religion, but a complete civilization. It's a civilization that has two cornerstones. The first cornerstone is that of dualistic ethics. Our civilizational cornerstone is the golden rule in which there's one ethical rule for everybody. In Islam, there's dualism. There's ethical rules for how you treat a Muslim, and there's ethical rules on how you treat a Kafir, the non-Muslim. So we have to start with that. So we have a different, their civilization has a different ethical cornerstone than ours. Their civilization has a different intellectual cornerstone. Our cornerstone is critical thought and fact-based reasoning, or at least it used to be. It's not so much anymore. Yeah, but that is, that is what we, our ideal is, is fact-based reasoning. In Islam, they use uh, power-based reasoning, that is authoritative reasoning. No thought process is allowed to be in the public mind or eye 
that contradicts anything that's within Islam. So therefore, we have two civilizations. Now, the civilization of dualistic ethics is being advanced along with the ethics of, for, for instance, I'm not supposed to be able to say anything about Islam that does not a Muslim doesn't like. And if I were in Saudi Arabia, I would already be dead. Yep. So it's a different civilization, and we have to resist the advance of the Islamic civilization in every way that we can. For instance, wife-beating. Under Islam, wife-beating is not only it's talked about, it's encouraged. Well, we have laws against wife-beating. So what is the compromise between a civilization which advocates beating of a wife and a civilization which says you can't do that? What's the halfway point between us? We have to understand that we cannot compromise our way to victory, just like we can't borrow our way to wealth. <clears throat> so the advancement of Islam in our school systems, for instance, here in Nashville, Tennessee, or actually throughout Tennessee, seventh graders go to school now and read a Muslim Brotherhood approved uh, what they call what they call world geography, which is not where the comets are, but it's about people. So we learn in the seventh grade, if you're in Tennessee, that the high point of human existence was in Baghdad with the Golden Age. They're taught that Islam was the first civilization that gave women their rights. So basically, our children are being lied to in the seventh grade. This is far more deleterious to us as a civilization than a car bomb that kills 20 people. Oh, yeah. And when you look at how it's it's impacting places like Europe, Norway is now turning a blind eye to uh, child rape because they're afraid they're going to offend migrants that have child brides. You know, I mean, I, I, so the, stop, stop and listen to what you just said. Uh-huh. I mean, do you realize how preposterous that is? And yet we're, yeah. listening, and yet we're living with it. They solved yep. the rape problem by Muslims in Sweden. Do you know how they did that? The police intake forms no longer allow any information which allows identification of the rapist. So they now don't have a Muslim rape problem anymore. It went away. Now, folks, this just is the in case of our civilization. Yeah, j just in case you missed that, the rape itself didn't go away. They just took away Muslim rape because nobody's asking if they're Muslim. Right, right. That's, There's that's a rape report filed, but you can't find out who did it. So here oh, we are. We're, our civilization is collapsing piece by piece, bit by bit. You know, you know, it is said that you can tell a political system by how it treats the weakest amongst it. Well, I don't have an objection to that, but what I say is is that here we have in Europe, here we have people who are heads of state who are female, Merkel of Germany, and yet she ignores the groping and raping that happened of her own citizens who are female. I thought the purpose of a government was to protect its citizens, and in particular the weaker citizens. Now, this may upset some women, but I find that the average man is more powerful and stronger than the average woman. Mm -hmm. Can I say that? No, you can, you can say it here, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to get some hate mail, but you can say it. The, oh, I, I, the, I, take the a daily days, I take a daily dose of hate mail. <laughs> That's part of my diet. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about this, though, is how many people think, well, okay, it might be happening everywhere else. It might be happening in Singapore. It might be happening in New Zealand. It might be happening now in China and Russia and, of course, Europe. But, Josh, it will never happen in America. Uh, take your stupid pills this morning? Of course it'll happen here. Islam does not have a program that's based on nations. It's based on a universal uh, charter to dominate everything and everywhere. 
as Muhammad says in one of the more famous hadith or traditions, the world has been a pl- made a place for my prayer. The world. So it's here. Yeah, but you know, then then you have the the people who just absolutely hate Christianity, so they're somehow embracing Islam and saying, well, yeah, but Josh, the world says that the the world is the Lord's and everything in it, so you know, you're just as evil and and uh, as bigoted. Well, you know, I live in a, a town which is considers itself Christian, and somehow or another, negative things don't happen to me if I criticize Christianity. Whereas if I criticize Islam in the wrong way, and by the way, go back over the conversations that we've had here with you and me. If I really criticized Islam, all I've said is what it is. When I say that the Saudis have raised $20 million to influence uh, Hillary, I don't condemn them for doing that. I just say they do it. So my method of dealing with Islam is not to criticize, but to expose and if yeah. you want to expose something about Christianity, you have no fear whatsoever at all. But when it comes to Islam, criticism can be fatal. There's no comparison. Yeah, and, and that's not an exaggeration. Look what happened in Texas when they were going to have that cartoon contest of drawing Muhammad, and those two gunmen showed up. I mean, this is happening here and we have honor killings that the media covers as just murder but when you do a little digging into local resources you find out well it wasn't just a murder it was an honor killing and why is it that women can come to america and no longer be protected why is it that we allow this to happen we are subjugating ourselves they're not subjugating us and it's we have this thing that well we cannot offend minorities when one time when i was a professor at TSU, I said to Wynn Mint, who was Burmese, I said, Wynn, I've been, uh, been uh, calling you racist names. He's looking at me and says, what? I says, I've called you an Oriental. He says, and? I says, oh, that's declared to be a racist term now. I'm supposed to call you Asian. He looked at me and he asked the most important question. He says, who decides these things? He says, yeah. what's, what's offensive about being called an Oriental? And so we, we find ourselves controlled by people we cannot even name. And and done in such a way that we don't even know it has changed because, you know, you had things like the Oriental Express and, you know, well, all of a sudden one day we wake up and that word's now racist. Even though, Why is that? Even though if, if somebody calls me a cracker, no, 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 you can't get upset because you have white privilege. Right. My white privilege consists of getting up early and working hard all day long. Right. That's my privilege. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'm. I'm happier now that I've talked to you, or more upset. Or more upset now that I've talked to you. Uh, okay, so let's let's do this. People go to your website. Where should they start? Because you do have a lot of well, resources. Where Where should they start? I, I go to you. I do have drbillwarner.com, but go to politicalislam.com. It's my bookstores there, and I have okay. two self two self study courses. But the best one is the Foundations of Islam. Order the, order the whole learning kit. It's four little bitty books. Now, none of my books are, well, I do have some big ones, but the books for this course are very small, little bitty books. They're 80 pages long. When you get through that course, number one, you will realize that you're a powerful person now because you now can know how to use the words of Allah and Muhammad and expose what they teach. So, uh, do that, and I have a uh, on YouTube. I have a channel, Political Islam, which you can sit there a long time. I've made over a hundred videos. By the way, can I brag? One of my videos, 
Why We Are Afraid it has over 3 million views. Good job. Good so, job. Uh, so anyway, if you want to learn about Islam, politicalislam.com, and, uh, web, and on YouTube, the Political Islam channel, or Bill Warner. I'm, I'm right. noted well, for Bill sitting Warner. down and <laughs> trying to make things clear. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, sir. We'll have to oh, do it again. Oh, it's been a delight. Thank you. All right, folks, stay where you're at. We have another hour of show coming up right after this.